Good evening. I'd like to welcome everyone to our service this evening. First song will be number four. Number four. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. for opening prayer be break my heart after the song brother Richard Garza will lead us in our opening prayer break my heart dear Lord tear the beggars down show me
Father in heaven, we, we come before your awesome and amazing throne of grace. And Father, we're just so grateful to wear your son's name to be called Christians. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to assemble, to sing these songs of praise, and to hear a message from your holy and divine word. Father, we're just so grateful for your Son and our Savior, Jesus, for this avenue of prayer. We're grateful for the life that he lived, the example. We're grateful, most of all, for the amazing sacrifice and that we might have hope of eternal life. And Father, we're grateful for your glorious church, the church that Jesus purchased with his precious blood. Father, we're grateful for the congregation that meets here at Stroudsville. And Father, we pray your blessings upon this church, its leadership. We pray that these efforts this week will help reinvigorate and revive uh, our hearts. And Father, we pray a special prayer for each and every family that's part of this congregation. We pray your blessings. Father, we ask a special prayer for uh, Ryder Dale Holt, uh, who is experienced a brain bleed, and we pray that, that you will be with him, be with those who attend to him, and we pray if it be your will to restore him back to a good measure of health. We also pray for Bill Young, <clears throat> who has uh, suffered a stroke, and we pray uh, once again that if it be your will that he might be uh, restored back to good measure of health. Also, we pray for Sister Patsy Aaron, that she's going to have some, some tests on Wednesday, and we pray your blessings. That's tomorrow, and we know that you know that <clears throat> these people are, are so very important to us and they're precious to us. And we pray, Father, that you'll just be with them, be with those who are attending to them. Father, we ask also a special prayer for our country. Father, we pray that if it be your will and if it might be possible that our leaders will turn from some of the uh, evil and wicked ways and turn back to a, a more godly principles as they rule and lead and make laws for our country. We pray that something might be done that <clears throat> can turn our country back to a, a godly ways. Father, we're, we're grateful for this country and we're grateful for, uh, for all the many years of the gospel going out into the world because of this country. And Father, we thank you for our freedoms. We pray that you'll be with those who help protect them and serve this country, and, uh, whether it be in foreign lands or here at home, first responders, doctors, nurses, we pray that you'll be with them. Be with also our teachers. <clears throat> Bless them. And, Father, we pray a special prayer for our, our young people. Help us to be good examples for them and encourage them always to walk faithfully with you. Father, we're indeed grateful again for this opportunity. Father, we pray that you'll just help us be more like Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Help us to be more loving, more caring, more forgiving of others. And we ask that you please continue to forgive us of our sins. And if we've been found faithful, Father, we pray that we might have a home in eternity with you and the faithful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'd like to mark your song notes, our song of invitation after the lesson, be number 558. 558. For the lesson, stand and sing number 95. Number 95. I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he I know that he 
Thank you, Brian. We appreciate you leading our songs. Brother Brian Albright has been leading during the meeting. Just quickly wanted to introduce Brother John Cantrell. We've enjoyed getting to know John and, and Jennifer and Ella. They also have Levi and Hannah's, and they're not uh, able to be here with us during the meeting, but we've enjoyed the family. And just tell you very quickly, uh, John is a minister at the South Harpeth Congregation. He's been there 15 years, and uh, he's also um, works for the county property assessor in Nashville, but we've just been so thrilled to have John come and do our meeting. He spent a lot of time in the gospel of John, particularly John 3. I'm excited to mark as we're going to meet and pray together and talk about our work and encourage each other, talk about our evangelism efforts. So uh, I enjoy that. And I think the ladies are going to go over and visit with this Meg and Ella. She's getting her sewing machine ready. So hope you're ready to go tomorrow. So yeah, they like to work on that sewing machine, but I will turn the, the pulpit over to, uh, to John. Look forward to another lesson from John. Thank you. It's, it's going to cut into my study time. We might just have to tag team if I don't, if I don't get a lesson in the morning together. Uh, really appreciate being with you all again. Thank you for the wonderful meal. Thank you for your hospitality, your kindness. Thank you so much for your willingness to hear gospel sermons, and uh, it's not, I'm not that great, I really am not, but it's about the gospel, and that's the power of God unto salvation, and and hopefully that rises to the top, and just appreciate so much all the folks that, that, and all the work that's gone into this. Uh, Very special uh, recognition tonight. Mike Bray is in the house, and you all may not know Mike, but uh, Mike is an employee of Jensen's Shoes in Nashville, but Mike is, we were just talking a minute ago, he came in at the end of the meal, and he was talking about when he came, uh, I would have been a teenager, and uh, Mike uh, has a beautiful family, and uh, his children are now adults and and married and getting married, and it's just wonderful things are happening to, to him. Mike's had health issues uh, in the past couple of years, like many have had, and Mike has triumphed, triumphal, been triumphal through all of that, and what a blessing it is to see him walk in six, what did you say, six, six stature, and to see him, but let me just tell you just real quickly about Mike. Teenagers are awkward at best, and Mike was always there. He was serving uh, in various capacities growing up in, in the congregation where we worshiped, but Mike 
would always make a point to talk to me, would always make a point to encourage me, would always make a point to find out something about me, to have a connection with so that we could always have something uh, in common. And uh, I say that just to, to, to thank Mike publicly for all of that. Those little things add up to big things. And I just want to encourage us all, uh, especially with our young people, Old people have to reach out to young people. Young people are not smart enough to know they need you. But old people have to, not saying Mike was old, but old people have to, older people have to reach out to younger people. Titus, let the older teach the younger. And so I want to thank Mike. I have so many great memories of him just encouraging me. And he's here tonight, and it means a lot to me. Uh... So thank you, Mike, and thank you all very much for the invitation to be here. And one more thing before we get into our text is uh, I appreciate your encouragement of Ella, uh, but you might want to dial it back just a little bit. Uh, We got in the car last night. Of course, we're talking about all the friendships we're making and the conversations we've had and the the joy that we're having being with you. And and, uh, we, we... talking about Ella making friends and, and have people been talking to her. And our main point was to, have you been talking back? Uh, you want your child to respond and, and to act like, you know, you know how to talk to an adult. And so we wanted to make sure that she was being respectful and kind and courteous. And, and she said, you have no idea how many people have come up to me and told me how beautiful I was. (laughs) And, uh, that If that wasn't enough, uh, I think everybody knows this, but if you don't, Ella's adopted. And uh, she added to this, see, this is where it's going too far, she said, and I mean, it's true. Some, I don't know. I might, I might misquote her. I'm sorry, Ella. I don't remember the exact wording, but something along the lines of, I mean, it's true. I mean, I'm adopted. <laughs> and we're like, I said, that is the rudest thing you've ever said. I want to do one more lesson at John 3, uh, and then we will tomorrow night be somewhere else. But I want to end our time in John 3 tonight, and I want to look one more time at that 18th verse primarily, but we, as we'll, we will get into this and then get out of it before it's all said and done. There's a couple more things I'd like to, to bring out to us and for us uh, to remind us and confirm in our hearts truths that we need to keep in mind. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We must keep that in mind. The wages of sin is death. James tells us that sin leads, uh, that, t- that we are all led away, led astray by our own desire. The devil does not make us do it. We do. The devil tempts us. But we have to cross the barrier that God has placed upon him to get to him. And ultimately, going all the way back to the beginning, the wages of sin is death. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, but the free gift or the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we tend to emphasize one or the other side of that coin. Uh, Many emphasize the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. That's not the whole story. We tell our children, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And then when they fall away, when they do sin and they fall away, we wonder why. Maybe it's because they were never told that rest of that. Uh, John writes, when you do sin... I write these things that you don't sin, but when you do sin, you have an advocate. You have an attorney there that will try your case before God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now, we have a lot of people that preach the gift of God, the gift of God, gift of God. Why do I need a gift? Why do I need a gift if I I don't understand first my sin? It's harder and harder to help people, to get people to understand any concept of sin. We have erased that from our vocabulary. And 
We no longer have an understanding of sin. You think about even in pop, there was a time in pop culture that sin actually made it into just even music. I have a, a longstanding joke and, and uh, a laugh every time we sing, you are the words in the music. You, you, do you sing that song here? You are the words and the music, you are the song that I sing. It's a Marty Robbins song. I told Mary about us. I told her about our great sin. Oh, devil woman. Remember that song? (laughs) Words in the music are devil woman. Okay. That was worth the price of admission right there. (laughs) Except that all the kids are like, Marty Robbins who? Sin was in the song is my point. And now we, we have no concept of what that is. The law was nailed to the cross, so uh, we, we don't go to the Ten Commandments. I was saying, uh, here's Nicodemus, under the law. Uh, the rich young ruler we said a couple of nights ago comes before Jesus, and he is able to go to the law and start naming off commandments. To continue with what we said last night, we... That, that, that law has been nailed to the cross, but we are going to be judged by the words of Christ. And depending on how uh, far you want to take this, I, I think a great case can be made that we've got nine of the ten in those words uh, mentioned in some way, and certainly in our New Testament. So we put up these commandments of the Lord and we say, how, how are we doing? How are we doing with these? And if Jesus were to return and his words be my judge, John chapter 12, how would I do? And I get a very good understanding of sin and a very good understanding of my sin and a very good understanding of how I will fall short and I need an advocate and I need a savior. Last night we looked at verses 16 through 18. Some have missed the love of God completely, and others see nothing but his love, and see his love as nothing more than being permissive, leading to universal salvation of all humanity. God so loves the world, or God loves the world in this way, that he gave his unique Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, But in order that the world might be saved through him, God's love in Christ is for everyone. But it was not meant to, uh, it was meant to transform us. It was meant to transform us. We were not meant to be saved in sin. We were meant to be saved from sin, ultimately. And we were meant through the sacrifice of Jesus to be reconciled back to God. He wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth. Second Peter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason that you are still alive today is a gift of God, so that you will have yet another opportunity to repent. As long as you have a mortal breath to take, you have an opportunity to repent. There are people in hell tonight that would trade places with you just for one second so that they could repent. No one is in hell tonight saying, I wanted to go to heaven, but Jesus didn't let me. But Jesus kept me from that. No, those that are in hell tonight or in that waiting place headed for there are there they're in torment and they are there simply because they chose not to believe in the son of of god the apostle had a clear understanding of the place god's love had in his ministry in second corinthians 5 and verse 14 the love of christ controls me controls us does the love of christ control you Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. Why? 
that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ controls me because Christ died for me, freeing me to live for him. And as we said before, we are a slave now of Jesus. We were a slave of sin. We were under the domination of our own sin and the prince of the power of the, of, this, of the air, prince of this world, and yet we have been freed, we have been ransomed, we have been redeemed. In verse 18, addressing the potential misunderstanding, John goes on to write about the necessity of belief, as we talked about last night. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's good news. But whoever does not believe is is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Condemned already. That's what we sort of ended with last night. If you do not believe in Jesus, if you are outside of Christ, you are condemned already. If you believe in Jesus with a saving faith of obedience to the gospel, you can be saved already. We cannot please God without faith, Hebrews 11 and verse 6. We stand condemned without belief, without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus made a statement very clear in John chapter 8. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. Very similar to that, uh, very similar statement is made in John chapter 3 by him. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's a pretty clear statement. Do we understand we have sin? And if we do, do we understand we will die in our sin if we do not believe? And if we are in Christ tonight, again, I'm unapologetically bringing uh, to your mind uh, something that you were asked to do is, did you, between last night and tonight, did you pray for someone outside of Christ? Because the prayer that begins, uh, insert name, is outside of Christ, Lord, and would you soften their heart? Would you do something to get them ready to receive the gospel? And then that prayer needs to continue. Would you give me the courage to not be afraid of them as much as I am of you? Would you give me the courage to go and preach the gospel Tell them the gospel. Explain to them, even if it is, uh, it doesn't have to be eloquent like, like uh, Brother Tom. Just get up and say, I don't know how to say this other than to say, I love you. I appreciate our friendship. You mean a lot to me. My faith is everything to me. And it concerns me because I, I know that if what I believe is true, and I know it is, that you're not in a right relationship with God. And if it says, hey, Tom, I need to bring somebody to meet with you, or can you meet with me with this person, or whatever it takes, the five-talent man was able to go out and make five more. But that one-talent man, he was afraid, okay? At least call somebody else and say, I got a talent. I got an opportunity. I got a prospect. Let me pass that off on to someone else who's not as afraid, who has more experience. What are you doing to get in a position where you can share the gospel? And and I I appreciate the fact that this congregation is, I've heard it in your prayers, I've heard it in your singing, I've talked with you. I know this is a mature congregation. You sat under amazing preaching, you have great leadership, you have wonderful servant leaders. Uh, But what concerns me, uh, I'll tell you, wherever I go, whoever I talk to, is when we ask something very simple of ourselves, if somebody were to come up to me and say, what is the gospel, what would your answer be? Where would you take them? If, If, just test yourself. 
If I were going to tell somebody about repentance, what text would I take them to? Work yourself through that. And there's a lot of helps out there to, uh, to assist you. There's no greater sin than the sin of unbelief in the name of the Son. Why is that? Because we assert our truth and our opinions over and above God's truth and God's revelation. Either we accept the revealed truth of God or we reject it in order to live our own. God has revealed truth about me, about what state I am in apart from him in my own sin. And when we reject the gospel, when I, when I choose not to believe in Christ, then we reject his view of me apart from him. Ephesians chapter 2, again, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and when you once walked according to the courts of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in disobedient sons, we all lived among them in our fleshly desires, indulging the cravings of the flesh and of the mind, and were by custom children of wrath as the rest. Skip down to chapter uh, 2 and verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and the strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Whoever is outside of Christ has no hope, no God. We talk to people who reject the idea of sin and hell and eternal condemnation. It is a rejection of our need of salvation and God's revealed state of myself apart from Christ. And we're living in a culture, and there's, I reject this idea personally. You may not agree, and that's okay. I reject the idea that there is any new sin under the sun. I reject the idea that it's worse now than it used to be. I just don't see that. Every sin I, th I think we're encountering here in America is the same sin that I'm reading about in the New Testament. It's different forms. It's a little bit more in your face. We're not wrestling with anything new. But we certainly are wrestling with people who boldly get out in the public sphere and proclaim with great pride, pun intended maybe, with great pride, we are outside of Christ. What great arrogance. Let me try to get at this idea. Many are quick to assert, okay, I'll ascribe to your God. Your God seems like a loving God. I, I'll even ascribe to, to, to Jesus. I'll ascribe that he lived and he died, and I will stipulate to that, to that uh, idea. But then they will turn around and completely reject the revelation of God concerning themselves outside of Christ. I want you to think about that. That's profound. It's, uh, it's not me. It's not original with me. But I see it and so do you. It's okay that you have a religion. It's okay that you believe in Jesus. But when it comes to me being condemned because I'm not in Christ, I've got a big problem with that. Who are you to tell me that? I was trying to rack my brain today to think about who in Scripture would, un, would have had that. Who would just completely reject the revelation of God about who they are and who they need to be? And I'm not sure if this is the best, but this is what I came up with. Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's Jesus' assessment of John. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors also, they declared God is just, having been immersed with the baptism, with the immersion of, G of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been immersed by him. The Pharisees. John is going out preaching a baptism, an immersion of repentance, doing the will of God, making the path straight for the, to get everyone ready to enter the kingdom. And these Pharisees stand in stark opposition to that. In John chapter 8, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham that Abraham did. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me too, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord. He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. That's a strong statement of Jesus. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears my words of God. Here's the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Hmm. Here's a group of people who were unwilling to consider themselves sinners. What did, what did the, uh, the great contrast, the tax collector beats his chest, forgive me a sinner, what does the Pharisee goes out and thanks and tells God, thank me, thank me for all that I'm doing for you, you owe me. And yet in Matthew 23, after Jesus just gives, just lets it rip on the, on the Pharisees, calls them things like hypocrites, serpents, uh, just really bad whitewashed tombs. It's just really bad, scathing denunciation. He ends that, Matthew lets us in, Jesus looks out and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Many sit in judgment of God instead of letting him sit in judgment of them. And that's the lie of the ancient serpent, isn't it? Did God really say, Oh, that's not true. God just doesn't want you to be on his level. He's keeping you down. God is just wanting to keep you down and keep you an ignorant slave of his in this old garden. We say, oh God, if I just had all these circumstances worked out, I would have no problems. Tell that to Adam and Eve. They fell in the garden of Eden. Assert yourself, is what they were told. Assert your own desires, your feelings, and all will be better than having to live in this oppressive garden of obedience to that tyrant God. Look at the world today, as it has been ever since that one sin, that first sin was committed. There's nothing new under the sun. We have the same sins being committed now. Many avoid any sense of honesty when it comes to their rebellion and sin. And before we go down the path of the world too far, we need to think about the sins that we, the church, have come to accept. That we think are okay. We're not doing those sins out there. And we come in here and we accept and we just say, well... That doesn't exactly conform to this will, but it's just a little one. It's not a big one out there. You and I may be guilty tonight of sins that stand to condemn us all unless they're mortified. And that's the hardest thing to do. Mortify your sin. Mortify it, put it down, say no to the flesh in its cravings and its desires. David, after getting the message that Uriah was dead by the messenger, in 2 Samuel 11 and verse 25, made this statement, do not let that matter, this matter, displease you. That's, that's the message he sends back to the army. Don't, don't, that, that, don't let that matter displease you. At the very end of that chapter, in chapter 11, verse 27, but the thing that David had done 
displeased the Lord. Isn't that what matters? Not to believe in the gospel is a rejection of God's testimony of me as a condemned sinner outside of Christ. Not to believe in the gospel is also uh, to reject the testimony of God's unique son. In verse 11 of chapter 3 of John, Truly, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. In verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And in Hebrews chapter 1, what an amazing, one of the best, one of the most beautiful texts. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance, the effulgence of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There is the whole Bible right there. It's a beautiful text. It's the testimony of Jesus. Not believing in Christ goes against the testimony of John. In John chapter 3, in verse 31, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. The one who rejects this revelation says, I'm not interested in what happened 2,000 years ago. I don't believe in the incarnation. I, I don't believe in the crucifixion of your Savior. And if it happened, it sure didn't need to happen to me. I didn't want his blood shed for me. I didn't want any part of that. He not only rejects the testimony of Jesus, and he not only rejects the testimony of John, but the, un, the unbeliever also rejects the testimony of God himself concerning his son. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 17 and verse 5, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In a positive sense, saying it a positive way, verse 33 of John 3, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Or in the negative, 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself whoever does not believe God has uh, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son does not have life So, not believing upon the Son, not believing in Jesus, not trusting your life to Jesus, accepting the gift that came to us through Christ, you are calling God a liar. Not accepting Jesus, not obeying Jesus, not following Jesus, not becoming a slave to Jesus, not making Jesus your Lord, and Savior, uh, you're condemned already. You're condemned already. Belief and obedience, unbelief, disobedience have serious implications. Notice the contrast, and we read this maybe last night or the night before last, but I read it again. 
starting with verse 19 of John 3, notice the contrast becomes we've gone out of the realm of, of intellectual. And we know that belief, we know that faith is way beyond. It's not a faith only. It's an obedience. But notice in verse 19, we've gone out of the intellect and we've gone into the doing. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. People love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. I remember uh, seeing the Bible of a minister, and in it he had written, and this quote is not from him. Uh, I apologize, it just came to me, so I I haven't looked it up. I want to say it was a Puritan. But the quote was this, this this Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this, this Bible. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? There's a lot of truth in that. Symbolically, we understand the Bible points to Jesus, to the Spirit that was its author. In John chapter 1, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, What happened? What happened to the people who did receive Jesus and who did believe in his name? What happens? He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To everyone who will believe. Let's go back to Luke 7 as we close. In Luke chapter 7, the chapter ends with Jesus. He is eating a meal with a Pharisee. John, uh, Luke chapter 7, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him as at his feet. Notice at his feet. She's taking the posture of, if you will, symbolically, she's taking the posture of a disciple. We've got that Mary and Martha thing a little mixed up, I think. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's saying, Jesus, would you tell her that's not her place? And Jesus says, no, that is her place. Here's a woman, a sinner, at the feet of Jesus. Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head, kissed his feet, anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said, notice, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, this is one of the funniest verses in all of Scripture. And Jesus answering said to him, is that, uh, maybe, maybe it's just funny to me. He thought it and Jesus answered it. And, and from an outsider's perspective, from one that is hovering over this, reading the text outside of this event, we can see something that he can't. We can see that Jesus can see the heart. That Jesus can see what is inside. Because if he can answer the Pharisee, certainly he has seen the heart of this woman. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. 
Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many. Ah, Jesus knew who she was all along. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, what? Your faith has saved you. And my dear friends, that's the only hope we have tonight. That's the only hope we have tonight. Our faith in the Lord Jesus is the only way that we will be saved. Would you, in obedience to the gospel... Be willing to change your heart, to turn from your sin, to confess that Jesus is Lord and to confess that you want him to be your Lord and Savior and come and have your sins washed away by being immersed in obedience into Christ. Tonight is the night of your salvation. Tonight is the night that you can leave rejoicing, saying, Just like this woman, this ancient woman who was saved because of her faith, I too was saved because of my faith. Would you come right now while together we stand and sing? We want to be sure and thank all of you that are visiting tonight. We appreciate so much you coming, and thank you, John, for that message. We look forward to one more night next um, tomorrow night and, and another fellowship meal. So please come and join us for the meal at, at 6 and our service at 7. 
And uh, we've enjoyed being fed the scriptures and learning from the Gospel of John. And and certainly uh, we have a lot to think about as we have a duty to go out and share the gospel with those whom we love. So please keep that in mind as we continue into our lesson tomorrow night. Uh, We'll now have one more song, and I think Brian will lead us in our closing prayer. Number 392. Sing the first and last verses. 392. When upon life's pillows you are tempest tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. Whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. You bow with me, please. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for this opportunity and privilege we've had to assemble this evening. Sing these songs of praise, that great and holy name. Hear another lesson of your word, and we're thankful for the lesson that's been brought our way tonight. And pray that you will help each of us to think upon what we've been taught here tonight. Help us to be willing and able to share your good news with those who are outside your fold. Help us to never be ashamed of the gospel and realize that. If we are on God's team, we will be victorious in the end. Father, we pray for this great nation in which we live and pray for our leaders. Please uh, help them turn back to you as this nation once was. Pray, Father, for your church the world over. Pray that you will be with each and every leadership as they lead congregations of your fold and just pray that you'll please help them to never stray from your truth to always focus upon the gospel death and burial and resurrection of Christ Heavenly Father we're thankful for those who have been sick recently and been able to recover be back with us. Father, we have many on our prayer list here, and especially we pray for Sister Patsy Heron as she undergoes tests tomorrow. Please be with the doctors and nurses who attend to her, that she'll be healed soon, be your will. Pray, Father, for Mr. Roger Dell Holt. Understand that he has a brain bleed right now. And Please be with the doctors and nurses who are attending to his needs. Things might be done that he'll be healed soon. Pray, Father, for Bill Young as he is recovering from stroke. And we're thankful for the progress he's made thus far. And pray that you'll continue to help him to heal soon. Father, we ask you to be with us now as we go back out into the world the mission field help us to 
seek and save the lost. Help us to always be the Christian example you'd have us to be that we might bring others to you so before it's everlastingly too late. Father, we ask you to keep us safe and be with us till we meet again. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.